0: Thanks for checking out this sermon from Redemption Church in Seattle, Washington, where we're enjoying Jesus, loving people, and making disciples. If you'd like to learn more about redemption, you can go to redemptionseattle.com. Or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday here in Green Lake. It really is awesome to be here today with you. Uh, Again, my name's Alex, and I'm one of our pastors here. And um, I have the honor of opening God's Word and preaching the, the scriptures this morning. And so, uh, as you just heard Lisa read, uh, we're looking at a very raw, real, supernatural miracle uh, today from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. And so, um, this is a miracle that's not done at the hand, by the hands of an angel or the incarnate Lord Jesus. This is a miracle worked through the hands of very average, very ordinary Human beings named Peter and John. And so it's a dramatic scene that happens as this man is healed and then goes into explosive, overwhelming worship and joy because of the mercy and grace of God that has just been given to him. This is also the first public miracle in the book of Acts. And so, and what happens in this particular scene will impact the next couple of chapters of the book of Acts. Chapters 3, 4, and 5 all kind of surround what happens in this moment. And so that's going to be important to remember over the next few weeks. Um, let's see. So grab your Acts journal if you have it, uh, or paper, or take notes on your phone, whatever, uh, because I'm going to do some cross-references for sure. Uh, as, and you're going to want to look up some of this stuff later, uh, either today or later in this week. So let me pray once more for God to just guide my my words and our time together, and and we'll jump into their passage. Father, uh, we come to you now in the matchless name of Jesus. And we are so thankful to be here now, gathered together because of all that your son has accomplished. This morning, we first just want to tell you Good morning. And that we love you. And we welcome you. And we want to hear from your spirit today by the the word that your spirit inspired. Thank you for all the vibrant colors we saw coming into church today. And the sun in the sky and we're just grateful. Would you help me to faithfully proclaim Jesus this morning? And let me not be a distraction, but help me to do my very best in pointing to you, Jesus. And it's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's jump in. Uh, We've got 10 verses that are completely packed. And uh, I'm telling you, if you let the Holy Spirit take your imagination, uh, it'll bring you to a place of praise and gratitude and awe and wonder, too, as you immerse yourself in this, in this passage. So let me just recap really quickly just what's happened in the first couple of pages of Acts. Uh, we we, we open the book of Acts with the ascension, right? Jesus now ascends back to the Father. A few days later, the promised Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, comes down on the early believers, the early 120 or so Christians gathered together. They begin speaking in tongues, that is, languages that are not their native tongue. And then the city, filled with hundreds of thousands of people, are now hearing the gospel proclaimed in their own native language. And people are converting in droves. 3,000 are added in one particular day. The Roman government, of course, is not happy with this group of people who no longer confess Caesar is Lord, but Jesus is Lord. Very much so political implications of the faith, right? And then, of course, the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish powers, they also have put Jesus to death just a few weeks earlier and Jesus rose from the grave. So the Christians aren't really in favor inside of zealous Jews as well. So the Christians are forced underground and to prayer and trying to take care of each other's needs. That's what we looked at in Acts chapter two. They start selling off what they have and giving and everybody has everything in common and they're meeting one another's needs. That's essentially what's happened so far in the first two chapters of the book of Acts. Now, Luke tells us here, we pick up in verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. The ninth hour. So, very quickly, who these two guys are, Peter and John. These guys were on the inner circle of the inner circle, okay? Jesus had 12 disciples throughout his life and ministry, right? And during his ministry, he spent time with Peter, James, and John. They're known as the inner circle. They were invited into certain things that the others were not. Jesus enjoyed fellowship with these guys, friendship with these guys in a way that he didn't have friendship with the others. So if you look closely at the disciples' lives, you'll see Peter, James, and John being invited up on uh, the mountain, right, when Jesus is transfigured before them. They are there only. Or at the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter, James, and John are the three that were supposed to be praying but fell asleep, right? These were Jesus' <laughs> best friends. Um, All right. So Peter, James, and John were part of this inner circle. So we have Peter and John going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And so uh, I just want to show you just kind of what this temple looks like. So... This is a, a, a rendering of what it would look like. This is called, this is, in fact, it's called the second temple. Um, the first temple was built uh, by King Solomon. We had King David who settled, right, Israel's capital down in Jerusalem. King David didn't build the temple. His son Solomon did in roughly 1000 BC. Then in about 586 BC, we had uh, the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar, right, come in and decimate the city and, of course, destroy where the Jews worship, at the first temple. Then we have this second temple be reconstructed. It was reconstructed. This is also known as uh, Herod's Temple. This was done in uh, about 18, I think, BC. And uh, it stood during the life and the ministry of Jesus himself. Okay? So, and it was, and so when Jesus is, is preaching in the book of Matthew, he'll say, uh, this temple that you see, it will come down. And he predicted the fall of the temple. And in fact, it was it was sacked in uh, 70 AD by the Romans because the Jews had revolted. The Romans hit back even harder. This is the temple that Peter and John would have been at. Daily offerings, sacrifices, it's quite, it's quite ornate. It was, Herod really went for it with this temple. We're talking first century construction. And so he, he took what Solomon had and then built upon it, expanded it out big time. So this is, this is essentially what it would have looked like. So first you have a couple of questions. Why would Jews go to the temple? Why are they going? Uh, and here's the answer. So I'll write this down. You can look it up later. But Exodus 29 verses 38 to 41, uh, we read that it was commanded to offer God two times a day a sacrifice. One in the morning, one in the evening. At 3 p.m., that was called the evening sacrifice, where uh, a lamb would be offered to atone for sin daily. That's what faithful Jews would do in customary worship and being that Peter and John were in the city they're going to temple but then the question becomes for us as Christians why are Peter and John going to the temple for evening sacrifice didn't Jesus the the sacrifice didn't Jesus rise did did Peter and John not know the gospel what's going on right here what is that um and here's the, the most succinct answer. It comes from a, a theologian named uh, David Peterson down in Australia. He used to teach in London, now he teaches in Sydney. And here's essentially uh, how he sums up that question. Why are they at the temple after all they're Christians? So what's going on here? Here it is. Even though Jesus had implied that he would replace the temple plan in, in the plan and purpose of God, his disciples did not immediately disengage themselves From the temple and separate themselves from the traditional practices of their religion. As a group of pious Jews, aware that Israel's hopes were being fulfilled in Jesus, they knew that their fundamental task was to bear testimony to him before fellow Israelites. Read that over in Acts 1. And so become the means by which other Jews might be spared in the coming judgment and share in the blessings of the Messianic era. The temple area remained an important context for that witness until they were excluded from it by mounting opposition to the gospel. That is why Peter and John are going to evening worship. They did not immediately break off from Judaism, but rather they see I'm supposed to go to the temple now and proclaim to other Jews that Jesus has fulfilled everything in the Old Testament that was promised about God's Messiah, it's now our responsibility to get this word out. And it's not gonna just stop here in Jerusalem, but go to Judea, Samaria, the other most parts of the earth, right? Okay, so that's why they're there, to bear witness. Next, verse two. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Okay. So here's a man born with a sort of, uh, uh, he's born with paralysis, being brought outside the temple. That's important to note. He's outside the temple and laid there daily to beg for alms, to beg for money. And so this man's pain was compounded in a number of ways. One, uh, this is first century Rome, no welfare, no government support at all whatsoever, especially for Jews. So this man is completely dependent on family, friends, or just pure generosity of of strangers for his daily needs. I can't imagine this. We know by the end of Acts chapter 4, this man is over 40 years of age, laying there daily outside the temple gate. The next thing, though, it's not just that he suffered financially. This man was excluded religiously. According to Leviticus, and there's another thing you can look up later. Leviticus chapter 21, we read that this man would have been excluded from daily temple worship. Along with a host of others uh, that would have been excluded for various reasons. So, he couldn't go into worship. More than that, though, there was a social stigma that comes with this kind of condition. Those who uh, we're born with various deformities or disabilities sicknesses leprosy blindness this uh, paralysis uh, the, the way the traditional jewish mind worked was you did something wrong to deserve the bad thing that's come down on you kind of like how we talk about karma that's essentially it you see that theology emerging in job right Job, what did you do? Why are you suffering? That's what his friends were doing. Obviously, God's got a problem with you. Uh, John chapter nine, there's another scenario, right? The man born blind, uh, who sinned? This man or his parents? That's what they put to Jesus. And Jesus is like, uh, this man's not blind because somebody sinned, right? See, when Jesus comes on the scene, he teaches us that God is not keeping score. God is not in the business of paying you back. But rather, Luke chapter 6 tells us God is kind to the evil ones. And so Jesus broke the whole system that we know today as karma. God hits back. Jesus goes, Now, the Father doesn't hit anybody back. That's awesome. So that's what, this. but this would have been the stigma. People would have seen this man outside the temple gate and gone, him, his family, there's something wrong. He did something or somebody related to this guy did something and he's paying the price. Um, This is also very common in Christian thinking too. We don't wanna say that, but honestly, when things hit the fan and it's wild, we tend to go right into that kind of thinking too. Oh my gosh, what did I do? Did I not pray enough? Did I not give enough? Did I not serve enough? Did I not tithe or evangelize or read my Bible or whatever the thing is, we can also quickly fall into that pattern of thinking that God is upset with me. And this is why we have to put the gospel before us again and again and again and again and be reminded God is not keeping score. You're justified. You're blameless. You're the apple of his eye. Your names are etched on the palms of his hands. Hosea tells you you're 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 his darling child, right? These things are so true, but our hearts are default to, oh my gosh, I'm suffering. I must have done something. And the gospel comes through the scripture. It comes through our friends. It comes through what we get in worship each week and in our life groups. And as we hang out together, it is so important to not just get together as Christians and just talk, have coffee or a beer or whatever, and just waste time, but to intentionally put Jesus and the gospel and the good news before each other daily. Encourage one another daily while it's still called today, day, lest any of us be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, right? That's what we just read in liturgy. Why is this important? Because each day our heart defaults to, uh-oh, God has a problem with me. Hence, Christianity is not something we do in our heads alone, individually. Christianity is something that works itself out very practically in the daily grittiness of life, okay? So this man would have had a religious stigma, a social stigma, obviously physical suffering. That's the condition, laid daily with all of his questions outside the gate. Um, According to Jewish historian Josephus, we we see here Luke reminds us that it's a a, a beautiful gate. It's called the gate gate. The beautiful gate. There's nine of them, or there's 10 gates around the temple. Uh, nine of them are overlaid uh, in, in gold and silver. Um, this one would have been extremely ornate. Uh, we know that this is made of Corinth, what's Corinthian bronze. Uh, some of the research tells us that it would take over 20 men to open and close this gate. Massive amount of strength needed to, so this, is, this would have been a, a significant place, laid daily. And so his life hung in the air, minute by minute. And then we have to remember too, this is right off the heels of Pentecost, a particularly generous time of year, right, where the Jews were commanded to remember the poor and give alms. So this man is laid outside of a beautiful gate, lots of foot traffic, lots of people coming through, to ask alms. It's a particular time of year, kind of like how we think of Christmas. It's a time where generosity shows up a bit more than that time of year than any other time of year. It's a desperate situation. And Luke, because he is a brilliant storyteller, has set the scene up. You know how to tell a good story, right? Once upon a time and every day until one day. And because of that, and because of that, until finally, and ever since that day, Luke's doing this once upon a time and every day until one day. We're at the one day. He's laying there, the man, and you got to mark all the, all the visual stuff going on here. Watch this. Words like seeing, gaze, look, attention. Mark those. Seeing Peter and John. About to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So here's something we can't overlook. Um, is that he saw Peter and John, and he asked to receive money. He needed help, and Luke wants us to see these visuals over and over again. Um, and this is one of those uncomfortable moments for us, at least for many of us in this room, in life. Uh, this, this is prolonged attention. Eye contact. The thing that makes everyone kind of cringe a little. Eye contact. Prolonged. Oh, and it's to a suffering individual. And Luke lets us know that this moment is important. There's no words being spoken, no stories being exchanged, no stupid theology questions about what you must have done to be in this predicament, no patronizing of suffering, no quips or cliches. Let go and let God, bro. I can't. He's on the other side of the wall in the temple that I can't go into. There's none of that. All that's here is pure human presence. That's it. Luke wants you to see that, to repeatedly say, he said, hey, I see this guy, and look at us. And then he fixed his attention, and then they stared at each other. And there's this, there's a long, Luke's teasing that scene out for us by design. The presence of the apostles cannot be overstated enough. As part of our vision of our church, to be present to God and self and others, this is what they're doing. They're faithfully present to the need of the suffering. And think about how many people on this particular day or every day for over 40 years of his life never actually saw him. To walk right by as another mouth to feed, another handout, another, I I don't have time for this. Inconvenience. Makes you go back and think about the, uh, who is it? The, The Good Samaritan passage. The priest was like, I got to get to worship. Crosses by on the other side of the street. The Levite, the other guy, the worship leader's like, yeah, me too. I got And then the Samaritan goes and finds the guy in the ditch, right? It's this kind of scene. They fix their gaze on him. And so we know that this man must have felt something more. That is, that man knows in this moment, these men don't just see my paralysis or my condition. They don't just see my friends who carried me here. They don't see my rags, my sad state. They don't see just my circumstance. These men can actually see me. In fact, this might actually be the first miracle in the book of Acts. Yes, they're about to physically heal this guy. That's the obvious miracle for sure. But for this man to be seen felt miraculous. These men have stopped what they're doing. Prayer's already started, sacrifice is already going, and these men are stopping as apostles of Jesus Christ. Fulfillment of all that that temple is about. Press pause and go, I see this guy. Do you see him? That might be the first miracle. Is to be faithfully present to the suffering. (laughs) That's so awesome. How about you? Have you ever been there and actually not seen suffering from a distance, but up close, in the eyes of another? It does something to you. It sobers you. It gives you clarity and a perspective, and makes puts life really in its place. Priorities change all of a sudden when you get eye to eye with someone in a tremendous need. Another question is, is do you know what it's like to be seen? Has someone ever fixed their attention on you in your hour of greatest need and darkness and they were present to you like this? Who is that person? You probably don't have to think long. They're already in your mind right now. That person is called your friend. Because a friend does not just show up on a mountaintop, they show up in a valley. And they'll sit there as long as you have to. So the man went from asking for money for strangers to fixing his attention on them outwardly. And he's expecting to receive something from them inwardly. That's what he's doing. So he's looking at it, but he's thinking, okay, I'm, they're going to give alms. But Peter said, I have no silver. And I have no gold. (laughs) Ultimate letdown for this moment. This guy is like, these dudes really see me. Miracle, all that stuff. And Peter's like, hey, I don't don't actually have any money. Peter, the rock, the apostle, the Saint Peter himself, the church, right? Has no money. No money did Jesus send Peter out ill-equipped for the job? No, no. Chapter two, Peter just gave all his stuff away to other Christians who were in need. I have no money. I have no silver. I have no gold. I got nothing. The guy is completely let down, I'm sure. Okay. Why did you stop and look at me? So Peter acknowledged the man's need. I don't have gold. But I do have something else. I have somebody else. That temple you've never been allowed to go into. Well, I have the capital T temple. I don't have what you're asking for but I do have what you need and it's more than cash. The world has taught you to just get by and survive, but I've got resurrection power running through my life. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't have what you're asking for. What about you? You may not have all the money in the world at your disposal and endless resources and all that, but here's what Peter has. He knows what he has and he is going to give it. This is so critical to see. Peter was not going to keep all of this Jesus and all of this gospel and all of this Holy Spirit that he's been given to himself. I don't have what you're asking for, but well, what I do have, I have faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What I do have in the name of Jesus, which is not an incantation, but truly calling this man to put his faith in the physical, historical, resurrected and ascended Jesus from chapter one. He said, what I do have in his name, place your faith in him, in his name, stand up and walk. Oh. <laughs> Can you imagine how that sunk in on a 40 year old man who's laid outside a gate every day of his life? What did he just say? I can't walk. I've never walked. I don't walk. Certainly, reality must have said into this guy and gone, That's not possible. That's not logical at all. This isn't natural. But God is not bound by physical science. God, at any moment, reserves the right to suspend the laws of nature to do his own will. I can't walk. But in the name of Jesus, he says, stand up and walk. And he took him, mark this, by the right hand. Luke's paying attention to details for those of us who are skeptical. Looks just pointing out, oh yeah, he grabbed him by his right hand, didn't put his arm, like, takes him by the right hand. And raised him up, pulls the man up to his feet, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong immediately, suddenly, no delay, 40 years of suffering, melts off like marine fog, just gone. And the dude is standing on his own and leaping up he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them walking, leaping, and praising God. Please don't miss each of these intentional responses that Luke notes what this guy, he placed his faith in Jesus, okay? In the name of Jesus, I'm gonna, okay. In Jesus' name, not in Peter's name, and not in a magical incantation, and not in wishful thinking, and not in some goofball prosperity gospel. No, no, no. In Jesus' name, I'm gonna, okay, I trust you. Jesus and he stands to his feet. He stood. For those of you, your parents, you remember when your kid took his first stood up and they got that like wobbly thing going? <laughs> At about 10 months of age, this man stands for the first time in his life. He's standing. Something many of us just take for granted every day. The ability to stand and sit. Things we do all day in church stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. This man's now standing on his own. And then it says he didn't just stand, he began to walk. This man watched people walk by him his whole life walk to the temple, walk to the market. Walk through the village, Walk down to the lake to go fish, whatever. He's seen people walking his whole life. Can you put yourself in that scene and just, now he's doing it? Just one foot in front of the other, like he's been doing it for 40 years. Just, I'm doing it. Just left foot, right foot. I've, I've seen all, everybody else do it. And he's just doing it, left foot and right foot. I'm, I'm walking. <laughs> I'm walking. I'm walking. Walking. And then, well, this is awesome, Uh, leaping, leaping and praising God. And he, he, oh, and you got to, before he gets to the leaping part, he enters the temple. Remember, he's never been in. He's never gone into worship like that. He's been on the outside his whole life. Just on the other side of this wall, people are worshiping God. Just on the other side of this wall, sacrifices are being made. Just on the other side of this wall, people are quoting scripture about the promises of God. It's just on the other side. I was born in Israel, but apparently maybe God has a problem with me. Maybe that's what he's had going on in his mind. Now he's going in. The outsider comes inside. Do you see what Luke's communicating here? Those who are excluded by everyone and for every reason under the sun, we see now He's walking and he gets to enter into the temple like he belongs. Do you know what it's like to be on the outside? Do you know what it's like to be excluded? Do you know what it's like for a religious person to say, no, you don't fit here? Everybody but you has their act together. You need to try harder. You need to give more. You need to serve more. God has a problem. You know what that's like to be on the outside? It's hell. It's hell. To be shamed religiously and pushed out is awful. And this is the one time where you see Jesus flip tables over and things like that. We're not in the business of keeping people out. God is an inviting, loving, welcoming God. And in his welcome, he always calls us to repent and change. So this guy enters the temple and now he's it says he goes into the temple leaping. I, I met a girl this morning. Is it Avery? Was it, yeah. Uh, I saw her skipping across the street, across the lawn, into church this morning. Leaping into church. I was like, that's Acts chapter 3. She's doing it. Like, literally skipping with the Bible. I was like, hey, good morning. She's like, hey, I'm so stoked to be here. like, <laughs> yes. Um, leaping and praising God. Not coming into into worship, the guy goes in with not with a bunch of just nitpicky questions, not with a scowl on his face, not burdened by not having every theological nuance parsed out, not having it all figured out. All he knows in this first moment of his life, I put my faith in Jesus and God's worked a miracle for me. And so I get to go in and worship now with Peter and John. They see me, God's healed me, and he just starts leaping into worship, not coming in with a grudge, not coming in with an agenda, not coming in with anything other than just pure, you know, up and down, just, I know, you're like, Alex, that's undignified. Listen, I will tell you what undignified looks like. I'm so down. When I go to a Sounders game, and we win 3-2 in the 90th minute, I'm telling you, I'm running the aisles at CenturyLink, and I'm happy to do it. Because something's happened, something great's happened. This man met Jesus by faith and had his whole life transformed right there on the spot. No more shame, no more stigma, nothing. Finally, God came through and I'm going to leap, and I'm going to praise, and I'm going to shout, and I'm going to lift my hands, and I'm going to clap, and I don't care if everybody in Green Lake thinks I look stupid. I don't care. I'm leaping. I'm dancing. I'm shouting. I'm here to worship. I'm here to pour my life out. I want to give God the glory that He deserves. Don't you feel that? When you know that you were the guy or the gal outside the gate, when the gospel makes sense, when the penny drops, and you realize, God doesn't have a problem with me. Jesus still loves me. The Spirit is going to abide with me from this day until that day that God begins a good work in you and he will complete it man this is amazing we get this life right now in Christ the heaven is not just somewhere far off it's right here right now through the spirit of God that is awesome yes amen right on yes like we should have that kind of visceral response To the truth of the gospel. If we proclaim this and confess the apostles creed, you know, that God the Father brought everything into creation, Jesus died under Pontius Pilate and was resurrected by the Spirit, I believe. All these things I believe. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the communion of the saints. I believe He's coming to judge the living the dead. I believe it all. I'm in, and I'm going to act like it. And I'm going to inform my face, and I'm going to inform my neighbor, and I'm going to inform my family. I'm in. I follow Jesus. He did it. He came through. I had nothing. Everything I brought to the table was broken and sinful and trash. And God, in His mercy, even on my best day, by the way, it was still nothing compared to who Jesus is and all that Jesus has done. And God, in overwhelming grace and mercy gave me my bible he gave me the holy spirit he gave me my family he gave me my friends he gave me the breath in my lungs let everything that has breath praise the lord let everything everything every moment this is what jesus deserves every ounce of our energy all our money all our time all our all our relationships our thoughts our private life our work everything jesus deserves it all This is what it is when you get the gospel and you go, I'm in, I'm in. Walking, leaping, praising God, going, don't you know that if that dude skipped into church today, like Avery or whatever, somebody go, that's that's not very dignified. That's not very dignified. That doesn't look very orderly. You think that guy cares about what looks orderly? Being paralyzed his whole life felt quite disorderly, and then everything was changed in the moment, and he let the world know. Walking in, praising, letting it out. You know you have freedom to do that in worship? That that is okay to lift your hands. It is okay to praise, to shout, to clap, to enjoy being in the presence of God, to accept the gospel for what it is now and not wait till heaven later go, you know, I get to heaven, I'm finally gonna clap. And when I get there, man, I'm gonna do that. You can do that now. You do not have to put that on pause. You don't have to wait for heaven to come to the earth later to worship. You can do it now. And people are doing it all over this city right now. And we praise God for our brothers and sisters and other churches. They're doing it all over our state, all throughout our country, and all around the world. And they've been doing it since Father Abraham. And they're gonna do it until Jesus returns. They are going to praise and worship. And I wanna be a part of that. I wanna lift my voice. Like, we hear you, bro. We know. It's like, I'm in, I'm in. And so for you, for you, Go back to what God has done for you. Has he worked every last miracle that you've asked him for? Probably not. But what has he done? Can you go back to the day where you met Jesus? Do you remember that? Where or at that time of life where you were? Can you go back to the time where you needed him most? Maybe for some of you, your marriage was completely in the gutter and you just, I don't know if we're going to make it. Maybe it's a problem with a child. Maybe it's a problem with a friend or a thing at work or what. I don't know what that crisis looked like, but when God came through, can you remember that moment? Of course you can. And He came through? Listen, if you don't have a praise to give Him for what He did today, you can still praise Him for what He did yesterday. And He's worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy of our praise. Oh, to God that he would just fill us as a church with this kind of response. Walking, leaping, praising. (laughs) That man is free. You feel free? Yeah? Okay. I see a lot of Mm -hmm. very Seattle answers like, yes, Pastor, I feel free. I'm like, (laughs) I feel free. And maybe that's just Atlanta coming through me. I don't know. But I'm telling you, When the gospel drops and the spirit of God moves in you, you have the permission to respond. You do. And this isn't a prescription for every moment of praise, by the way. It doesn't have to look like this all the time. It doesn't. I get it. But every once in a while, you know, you can let it out. It's fine. All right. So, you're welcome. Uh, (laughs) All right. And Luke's quick to point this out. Last two verses. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate. So they know this guy. It's like, oh my gosh, that's, that's, that's the dude. He's been there for 40 years. He sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for they're so Like, yeah, yeah, I remember the guy. And Luke is quick to point out the response of the crowd. This is important. Uh, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They were blown away. Um, Luke doesn't tell us that all the observers immediately confessed and repented and trusted Jesus like this man. They were, they were amazed. They were amazed. They were amazed and for right reasons. My favorite theologians, Howard Marshall points this out. He said this, one can be impressed by the spectacular without responding to what it signifies, the power and grace of God. To be impressed and go, man, look what God did for that person. But to, miss the, to not take that next step and go, God, I want you to work in my life. God, I want you to do something in my life. To not just merely be amazed and applaud the works of God in someone else. But to go, God, I, I want you to work in my life too. I don't want to just be amazed at what you did there. I want, and back then or in that guy or that girl. I want you to work here. Luke wants you to see that that to be amazed by the works of God and someone else isn't the whole point. The point of those works is to invite you in and ask and, and move into a living relationship with God himself. Luke wants us to come to faith in Jesus. So one very practical question for us is this. Is that you? Are you merely observing the works of God, whether in scripture or in others or somewhere else? Or are you allowing that testimony to now speak to and inform your faith here and now? Yeah, let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus and the gospel. Jesus, thank you for your death, your burial, your resurrection. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Would you move in us? Thank you that you have the power to heal. And so God, we ask that you would work like that in our church. Bring healing, physical healing, just like you did in this man, spiritual healing, emotional, relational healing. Holy Spirit, we trust that you can, and by faith we're asking that you will. God, we thank you for our church. We pray that we would be those people who would enjoy Jesus to such a degree that we become undignified and just don't care what others say because we are your worshipers and we are your children. We pray this in your good name, Jesus, our Lord, through the spirit to you, God, our Abba Father. Amen.